Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And welcome to Security Insecure, hosted by Johnny Seifert. This is the Celebrity Mental Health Podcast, or I say it's okay to not be okay. And if you have the same match as me, then before we get to today's guest, please subscribe to Security Insecure after listening or watching at the end of the episode. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Now, let me tell you about my guest today. My guest today has single-handedly over the past five years helped you understand in a bite-sized way the true atrocities of the Holocaust. Through her books, starting with the Tattooist of Auschwitz and her remarkable storytelling, she has made the horrific events of World War I and II accessible to understand so that you can be educated and help spread the word that this can never happen again. Three books and her own memoir later, she is back with her new book, Sisters Under the Rising Sun, focusing this time on the Australian nurses who ended up in the Japanese war in the 1940s. So using her favourite song, Andre Days Rise Up as a soundtrack to this interview. I'm delighted to rise up my knowledge and welcome back to Skudinska. It's Heather Morris. Hello, Heather. Hello, darling. It's so lovely to be talking again. I met you and I cried on you and you stuck with me so much and you are one of the people that I've met that I've never forgotten. And to that oh, extent, wow. I have a picture of you on my walls that I never forget you. And you are, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but... You're over see. there. You sit by my desk every day and I always look up to you and then on my phone, there you go, on my phone, you are right over there. Uh, oh so that I always see you because what you did for me when it came to educating about the Holocaust, and for those watching or listening, I've been to Auschwitz twice. I'm Jewish. I've made documentaries on it. I've interviewed about 12 survivors. I've listened to many survivors over the years. And your book, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, was the book that I went okay, I'm starting to understand what the people it went through at Auschwitz in the Holocaust in a bite-sized way that I could actually comprehend it. Because when you say six million Jewish people have died, it's very hard to understand what that is. But to Tourist of Auschwitz, Silke's Journey, The Three Sisters, you really just helped me. And I will be indebted to you forever because I spread the word and I spoke about it with my friends and we were like, Okay, we can we can see a very little glimpse of 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 the picture. So first of all, I'm just going to say thank you. Oh, sweetheart, I love meeting with you. I'm sorry we're not doing it in person, and thank you. Yeah, just the lucky bugger that got to meet Lully Sokolov and tell the story, not knowing any other way to tell it but in his words. 
and it then became the story that was relatable to you and to others and you're just the lucky bugger here. And also, in that book, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, amongst everything else, the one thing I always took away was the fact that there was a flower that he'd picked for Gita, his wife, mm-hmm. in the concentration camp, and the fact they'd fell in love. And what's interesting, when we then come to Sisters Under the Rising Sun, is across all of it, and it's about Australian nurses uh, who go into a Japanese war, there's another little bit, which is all about the music concerts and the way that Beethoven is kind of the voice of the book. The fact that they had these concerts that Nora went to. And I thought, again, for your writing, it was just so special that, yes, this is absolutely horrific, but it wasn't completely bad 100% of the time. There's 1% where they could have laughed for a second, if that's fair to say, because I know, obviously, this is a very sensitive topic. Well, you know, they actually laughed quite a lot. The Aussie girls and the New Zealanders there, they're all about taking the mickey out of the Japanese. And they did it, um, obviously, and with the, the smile on their face or their heads bowed in deference, but what they were saying and not understood by the Japanese, they created a lot of laughter in that camp purely by their attitudes to them. Yes, the English women and the Dutch colonial women and the Dutch nuns were, were more constrained in uh, how they behaved, but they certainly enjoyed the craziness and the whimsy that came from the Aussie and the New Zealanders that were there. They just added this other component to it. There was laughter. There was certainly immense joy. And that joy all came from the power of music. Well, look, let's talk about it. Let's delve a little bit deeper into it. Because for those that don't know you, you've taken a person who was associated with the war and either you've spoken to them directly or through their ancestors. And then you've created a storyline which is based on their experiences, but... This isn't exactly as it happened to them. Obviously, their memories and there's only so many factual documents that are now left. So talk to me about the building blocks of this book to tell Nesta and Nora's stories for the main characters in the book. I wasn't relying on memory because the Australian nurses, they all made and we found them buried deep in the bowels of the Australian War Museum, both written and oral testimonies within months of coming back to Australia. So their memories then, trust me, they were pretty fresh. So how, how much sort of those notes, though, when they're writing their testimony, to go through four years and what they went through, how much did they... I know that one of them went to court to um, put the, the, the captain away uh, for 15 years. So how much did they actually write down and remember? Because that's a lot to condense into a piece of paper, basically. Well, there was the written testimony. But in the case of Nesta, she had made a two-hour uh, audio you know, recording. Right. So I got to hear in her own voice and in her own words, her story. The interviewer doing it was woeful. I spent more time yelling at how angry I was at this interview, didn't, was just blowing so many chances, but I still got enough. Now, the thing with Nora and her story, I was getting that from her 87 year old daughter. So there I did have that time, history and memory uh, gap going on. But back in the 50s and the 60s, a couple of the nurses wrote their memoir. These books are long out of print, haven't been seen for for decades. But in there, once again, their storylines were up to the date. They were clear. They were fresh. They hadn't forgotten anything about that treatment. And you talk about all the different storylines. The thing, folks, I want you to understand is why I have focused on Nestor and Nora and, and maybe a handful, up to six other women, this story actually belongs to 500 women. 
and some 40 children. I couldn't have had all those characters in a book and have you follow it. And it's one of the things that I do feel bad about and I'm going to have to find a way to come to terms with it, that I took incredible vignettes and incredible things that happened to other women and gave them to somebody else in my story. Every storyline in that book, every vignette in that book happened. I haven't made any of this up. I've given it to another character, one of my lead characters, but they all happened. And it's come from testimonies and biographies. You sound like you're something's happened. Someone said something to you that's made you question your intentions. When you're writing a book like that, you're obviously having to delve very deep into your soul to speak from the heart. You're not speaking by just writing like a Danielle Steele, but you're speaking from the heart mm -hmm. and the heart is dictating what you need to be writing. Has someone said to you, Heather, that what you're doing isn't right? No, not really. Um, only my own internal voice. And why is yeah, that? When I'm writing it and, and I'm and I'm I'm talking about one of the characters and what's happened to her, but I know it actually happened to one of the other characters who I'm not giving that credit for having not only endured or suffered the, the mostly bad things, but she has had the courage to write them down herself in her own testimony. Yeah, but there's nowhere else in the book to put it. So it's me that's giving myself a hard time over this one. Well, can I yeah. just tell you that in radio, for example, or podcasts, what's edited out, the audience doesn't know, okay? And we're giving that glimmer of just, here's a shortened version that's edited in a way that's digestible, yeah. that's not going to be books and books and books. You're not writing an encyclopedia. What you've done in Sisters Under the Rising Sun is you've given a little bit of going, here's some information just digest this. If you want to find out more, you can go and research things. Yeah. You can go to Australia, et cetera, et cetera. You shouldn't feel guilty about it because there is only so much you can do. You've obviously, in the back of your book, you've written other people's names in there, but yes. you had a responsibility that you created yourself to just tell a version of the story to just get people to understand what happened to the, an Australian nurse or the Australian nurses on behalf of someone. So I don't want you to feel any guilt. And it really hurts me that you feel guilt because... I look up to you so much on what you're doing for the educational side through the book. And I don't like that that's the way you're coming to terms with it now, now that it's out for print. Look, thank you. Um, perhaps I needed that belt around the head from somebody. So thank you. I'll take it. Yeah, for me, the, the important has, thing has always got to be that the story is being told. And you know, why, why it had to be told or should have been told a long, long time ago was because of the treatment of these women when they got home how they were told to go away not speak about it forget it ever happened now that that's that happens on a lot of things but with the british women were concerned so the the people of the times the government of the day they went one step further when they were on that boat coming from singapore back to southampton a troop carrier and there were a couple of thousand troops, men who had been imprisoned on Changi and other men's Japanese prisoner of war camps, that they were told to stay below deck when the boat docked, that their family members were told not to come to the dock because the men were to be given a hero's welcome home. Men who had survived imprisonment, just like they had, were to be welcomed home, and they weren't. And in anyone's language, that's wrong. And I will not accept being told time and place. And as a female, looking at 
females who were in the war. How do you respond to that as an author when you're writing a book like this to go, you know, morally and the way that I think as a lady and as a feminist that this is wrong, that women have been kind of disregarded from the history of these people who have come forward on the other side of the war? Uh, well, by getting the story out, it's it's not too late. It will never be too late for somebody involved in either the military here or the government here to say, we did, we made a mistake. We were wrong. We should not have done that. It's not them. The sins of the father you do not, for me, put on to the, the, the people, the, the children. Well, for the government of the day here, to be able to acknowledge that back then this was a terrible, terrible mistake. It's nothing's going to happen to them by doing that. But these women and their families and the greater population here will know, okay, that's what happened. And yeah, it was wrong. And now can we just honor these women? It's, it's, it just has to be a fleeting thing, but something. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any ins with any pollies here. So if there's anybody watching this who does and can just raise that question, can we acknowledge them? It was the Australian nurses, pretty much. They had, they got a welcome home. So they differed there, but it was very fleeting. The boat came into Perth. The premier of the state came on board, gave them all a bunch of flowers. The people of Perth turned out in their thousands and thousands and welcomed them home. And then the next day they were said, now go home to your own states and forget it ever happened, put it behind you. And they were then never heard of again. Meanwhile, the men are coming back from both the Asia Pacific region and from Europe, prisoners of wars and soldiers, and they're marching down the street and being welcomed home. It just, yeah, as a, a, a female living today, it, it rankles. And um, the only good thing I know is that on the 25th of April every year, when we have Anzac Day, that is our day in Australia and New Zealand for remembering the men and, and, the, and the women of the war. And it's really interesting, we have now, um, different colored poppies and we remember the men and of course we should uh and then we have a different color poppy to remember the horses and we have a different color poppy to remember the, the dogs we don't have anything to remember the women what does that tell you Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's a story, an anecdote about the Bible and how... There were the nurses who were told to entertain the captains and the soldiers. And they said, look, we don't want to do it. If we do it, we've got to swear on the Bible that this will never be spoken about again. And it got me thinking about after you've written three big books that you've delved so much into these people's journeys and really lived through these characters' lives for the moment that you're writing a book. Again, I hope this all makes sense that I know that this, we're talking about the Holocaust, but in the context of your books only i'm not talking about the holocaust you know um so how do you look at religion now and how do you look at what the bible stands for when you've seen so much you've heard so much and then even now but we're talking about a gender divide even happening johnny i've never had a, a religious upbringing per se that's not quite true actually i used to go to sunday school and the little town i grew up in my parents didn't care which sunday school i went to to me well which one of my friends is going and it was a, a little town that had a church on four corners and so I'd go one day to the Catholic, the next day to the Presbyterian, then, oh, I'll go to the Methodist this week. And that was just a matter of who I could play with afterwards. And so I had that or Sunday school upbringing. For me, I defer to in, anyone and everyone who are spiritual and for whom uh, a God and the Bible or the Quran or whatever it is that it brings meaning and significance to their life, that, that's fine. It's not been part of my life. But when I was reading about the nurses swearing on the Bible, and I found many accounts of that, what they were swearing on that Bible for was actually not to reveal the name of the four women who sacrificed themselves so that the other women in the camp and the children in that camp could eat. They called it comfort women. It wasn't comfort women. They were being turned into unpaid prostitutes. Now, the thing about that, and which is going to play out in Australia, I know it's going to, is that not only were those nurses told when they got back to deny there was any sexual abuse, every single one of these testimonies, these women, they see the question, they were pointedly asked, were you sexually abused? And they answer, no, none of us were, because that was the line they were told. Now, we've dug deeper as to why they played it out that way, and it, it turns out that the government of the day thought that, A, it would shame the women if it became common knowledge, but also the very fear, uh, the anti-Japanese sentiment, which still was pervading Australia at the time. Well, in the words of one of the, the colonels, I think we read, said, World War III would break out if the men of Australia knew that their woman had been raped. And so they covered it up. 
They even covered it up to the extent that when Nesta, along with one of the other nurses, Vivian Bullwinkle, went to Japan in 1946 and gave evidence at the war trials of the two of the um, Japanese uh, officers who were being tried, who were in the camp, they had to swear in a Bible that it didn't happen. And they did that. They, they held the line. Now, it wasn't until Vivian, uh, who wrote her own memoir, but once again, as she was an older woman, she revealed that she had to co-write that along with a person, an officer given to her by the Australian Army, who oversaw every word that was written and, and withheld her and stopped her from writing the truth. But as an older woman, not long before she passed, she revealed it. And one other woman, an elderly woman in a nursing home, she revealed it. But again, they acknowledged that it happened. And even this woman in this nursing home with dementia could not be brought to say the names of the four because they had all sworn on a Bible not to do that. And so in terms of the Bible and its significance to them, I bowed down to them. It held the power for them to carry out their entire lives with that bow, the significance being made on that Bible. You know, I'm glad we don't know the names of those four. I know the names of every one of those nurses. They're ingrained in my head. I don't want to know who those four were. Well, with those names in your head, along with Lale, Gita, Silka, Magda, Livy, you've been through all their journeys through your books so bringing your three books together and that in your memory what is your brain saying now when you're thinking of those people those atrocious stories that you've heard the horrific things they've been through when you're going back about your day-to-day -day life and then it just kind of somebody comes to you or people refer to them to you because it's always oh, heaven more it's the author of the book about that person these are real people and a lot of the people that you either personally knew or you've delved into their stories just as if you know them, or you've met their relations. How do you generally, as Heather Morris, go about your day-to-day -day life with all these thoughts in your head always? You know, when I think of any one of those people, I actually smile. I get strength from who they were, what they suffered, and how they did not, in the majority of the cases, well, all the ones I know, how they did not let what happened to them define who they then went on to become and what they did with the rest of their lives. Look, I know, and I'm not naive, and, and I've met the many, many survivors, particularly of the Holocaust, for whom how they suffered and what they endured did not permit them to have a good life. Quite the opposite. And their children and their grandchildren, generations, suffered as a result of that trauma. But for the ones who I know... <laughs> intimately now and I can say that about them I do get nothing but strength from them and and they do nothing but bring a smile to my face talking of that strength your book for Tattooist of Auschwitz is being turned into a film it's in post-production now what's your involvement with it my fancy title was script consultant I had to bow down and acknowledge that my any skills I had in writing a screenplay were this much compared to the expertise and the brilliance of a proper screenwriter but they sent me the the scripts as they were being written and I kind of went oh wow brilliant wow no 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 back to the drawing board on that one and uh, so I had that amount of involvement with it the scripts getting up to the point of going into development and I'm so so chuffed that the makers of the miniseries invited me to Slovakia in February 
as they were about to begin shooting and that I was there for that week and on the very first day before the very first time the director called roll camera I was uh, given the chance to speak to the cast and crew that were there that day and and thank them for what they were about to undergo and do on Lully and Gita's behalf and everyone's behalf because I knew it was going to be a harrowing journey for them and it was uh, and so yes I got to see a lot of this being filmed in February in the cold and of uh, Bratislava and then I returned in May when they were shooting the scenes with Melanie and Harvey so I then got to see these other two incredible actors as they undertook the roles of old Lully and me. So then you take a step back and on the, uh, those aeroplane flights when you'd seen it in action how did it make you look at the journey that you've been on over the past eight, ten years of getting to know Lale, writing out his story, that story going out there, selling 12 million copies, then writing three books and going, not only is this the work that I've done and the responsibilities that I've taken, but also this is doing him the justice that he deserves of getting his voice out there now. Yeah, it, kind of, it bookends it, doesn't it? It started that way and now it's ending that way. And he would be so chuffed. He was besotted by the fact that he was a good-looking boy. And he told me that many, many times. You know, I'm a good-looking boy. You find me a good-looking boy to play me. And and we, he wanted Brad Pitt and he wanted Ryan Gosling and all these other actors. Well, we found in Jonah Howard King and in Harvey Keitel the perfect lollies. And I know that he would be over the moon. I know that he's up there with Gita dancing around the room because he loved to dance uh, and so again it brings a smile to my face that I've been able to do that for him because that's how he thought it was ever going to it was going to exist on a screen big or small Heather, your book, Sisters Under the Rising Sun, is out to go and buy now. Your other books, starting with The Tattooist of Auschwitz, on to Silka's journey. Silka was Gita's best friend in Auschwitz. And then The Three Sisters are out to buy now, as well as your memoir about your journey to writing The Tattooist of Auschwitz. Great read as well. It's out to buy now. Your favourite song, Hundred Days Rise Up, is out to listen to now, because I always listen to that after every time I speak to you. The one thing I just want to say as well is, I hope in this interview you don't think I've glamorised the Holocaust, I've glamorised anything. This is very okay. much about Heather's journey, Heather's books, and we're focusing on the book. We're focusing on the film, not what actually happened. But I want to give it context, and I just really hope, and I just want to reiterate, I really hope I haven't offended anyone with this interview, and that I've done Heather justice, I've done the Holocaust and the education justice, because that's what I want to do as a Jewish person especially, it means a lot to me and it meant a lot to me to read the book and I just want to clarify and just reiterate that this isn't a glamorous interview this isn't you know this is showbiz and sexy this is very much let's hear people's journeys so that the holocaust should never happen again so my thanks to Heather Morris for that if you like books and you want to be part of the Security and Secure Book Club every couple of weeks I interview another author about the mental health things in their books there's episodes of Amanda Prowse, Nicola Gill, Adele Parks, Claire McIntosh, Jane Fallon, Tim Weaver, Annabelle Knight and many many more Go and check them out in the library. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating. Click that follow, subscribe button, and share it with your friends. And let's keep spreading the word. It's okay to not be okay. We know 
through the generations. That phrase has never been more so important. It's okay to not be okay. On TikTok at JohnnySeafoot92, on Instagram at JohnnySeafoot, that's Kalinska Podcast, and on Twitter at JohnnySeafoot. So do go and check me out. I'm Johnny Seafoot. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 